Mark chapter 13, we're down in verse 21, and uh, we've kind of been stuck down in this uh, a little bit here. And again, we're here at uh, the, um, the second Olivet Discourse. The Lord has been talking to the apostles. Uh, he's focusing in here on his return. Actually, the focus here where we've been at is the second half of the 70th week. Uh, we're in Mark 13, you go to Matthew 24, 25, you go to Luke 21, and he goes through the same uh, timing, but just from those different perspectives. And again, verse 14, just so we get in our thinking, uh, th Mark 13, 14, But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, I love this, standing where it ought not, that's a great indicator that what's happening here at this time Israel should have never allowed. It doesn't belong there. And again, the abomination of desolation, that is that setting up of the idol of the Antichrist. Revelation 13, the false prophet causes that image, gives life to that image, then the mark of the beast and so on. So the, the, the trigger point, he says, let, the, let him that understandeth, re, let him that readeth understand, then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Now up to this point, Again, he doesn't tell us when the week is, the 70th week starts, because that's not the issue. The issue in Mark and the perspective of Mark is that of the servant. What is the servants going to be doing? He's focusing in on their activity. Matthew, here's the king. Here's what the king's going to be pronouncing during that time. Here's Luke. Here's the, the humanity side of it. What are they going to be feeling? How's that going to affect them physically and so forth? Uh, on the humanity side. So here, up until this point, so the midst of the week, the middle of the week, they've been doing verse 10, and the gospel must first be published among all nations. They've been out preaching and teaching the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. They've been out doing every, or, well, I shouldn't say they have been. They will have been doing everything that has been communicated to them to do, the Hebrew epistles and so forth, fit in, in that time zone. Then, when the midst of the, the, the 70th week starts with them signing the covenant with the Antichrist, Daniel 9, 27, they, he signs that, boom, now that starts with the Antichrist. There's only one, even though we're going to see here in a minute, there are many other ones, false ones, but there's the one, they sign the agreement with them, and when that happens, he's going to cause the temple to be built 220 days, the temple worship, the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law is going to be reinstituted. And then in the midst of that week, so he's going to move from the man of sin into the son of perdition. And in the midst of that week, when things begin to happen, and we've looked at this, we, we, I put it up on the board, and there's a whole ton of stuff that happens in what Daniel calls the midst of the week, that 30-day period. It sits on both sides of the 1260 and 1260. It sits right there. And when that happens, when they see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand where it ought not, their reaction, things are going to change now. The first response, the first reaction is for them to flee. It, so there's a change in ministry here. We're going to flee. Then when you come in to verse uh, 19, 13, 19. For in those days shall be um, affliction, 
such as was not from the beginning of the creation, which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord has shortened those days, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. And again, we talked about the elect here. That's the believing remnant, the nation of Israel. He's going to literally shorten the days because the second reaction, verse, verse 19, or the second response, or the second thing that's going to happen here is, for in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of creation, which God created unto this time, neither shall be. Matthew calls it great tribulation. And so there's going to be a, there's going to be, the, the little flock is going to flee. Now there's going to be great tribulation that comes. If, if you hold on to here and look over at Revelation 12, Revelation 12, Revelation 12, if you look at verse 12, so there's verse 7, the war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels, they prevailed not, verse 8, neither was their place found anymore in heaven, and the great dragon was cast out, okay, verse 12, therefore rejoice ye in heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Now watch, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And if you continue there, he's got great wrath now. So when you come back to Mark 13, what the Lord's doing is, is he's like, okay guys, you're going to be doing this, and then when you see this happen, it's time to get out of town because great wrath is coming. And the focus of that wrath of, of Satan, Satan's wrath, is going to focus in on the believing remnant and with the design to destroy God's nation on the earth. He knows his time is short. Why? He shortened the days. If, if, they, if God let time run to its conclusion, no flesh would survive. But because of the elect and because of Israel and what he's doing on the earth, he shortened it. And what happens, come back to Mark 13, is that Satan knows that, so he's going after the believing remnant. Verse number 21. Here's the third reaction, the third response. And then, if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. So when he is going to pour out his, Satan's going to come after him with this great wrath, it's going to be accomplished through a worldwide deception program. Okay? The, the, the seduction program, that's how Satan's going to attack. By the way, if you, if you look there, um, how he says, if it were possible, even the elect, back up in verse 20, except the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. Again, the saving there isn't salvation, justification unto eternal life. It's the issue of being saved in the deception pro- from the deception program. And what's going to happen here is, is this, the little flock is going to, verse 23, 
but take ye heed because I have foretold you all things. The Lord literally, look guys, here's what's coming. The adversary's coming. You're going to get saved out of this worldwide deception. Then you need to take heed to what I'm telling you because here's what's coming. And, and that, that worldwide seduction, to seduce there, the end of verse 22. If you look down at verse 26, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. See and coming. You know what the adversary is literally going to do? is When that happens, when verse 26 happens, the seduction plan is going to be literally to tell the world that the guy coming is the devil and the guy sitting in the temple over there is the Messiah. That's literally what he's going to do. And he's going to design, so the seduction plan is he's going to seek to draw them away from, he's going to draw them to believe that Jesus Christ isn't the Messiah and that the Antichrist is the Messiah. And And the seduction... And honestly, we can understand how that is because when you watch the movies, aliens are bad and all they do is destroy the earth. Well, who's, who's the ultimate alien, if you will? It's going to be Jesus Christ coming back. So what is the world being programmed to do now? Bad guy, good guy, you know? And so we're going to, so there's a complete subversion of the truth to go towards the lie. And again, what Christ is doing here is he's warning them there in verse 23. I've told you all these things. He's warning the little flock about what's coming so that they don't get deceived and they have a foundation to where they can watch and take heed. And as we go on down, uh, we'll see him say that to them. But in verse uh, verse 21, and then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. Now, the seduction. this is how the seduction plan is going to operate. And it's going to operate on what I call Operation Santa Claus. Okay? Because if you think about Santa Claus, he's what? He's everywhere, isn't he? He's down here at this mall. He's over here at this mall at the same time, by the way. He's over here at this mall at the same time. He's over here, and yet on December 25th, the real one is the one that comes, okay? Now, growing up, we never believed in Santa Claus because my dad always said, if I buy your gifts, then I get the credit, not some fat guy in a in a red suit, you know, okay? So my, my family, when I raised my kids, I raised them the same way. I just also raised them, don't tell, you know, the, uh, uh, your buddies that Santa Claus is not real yet. <laughs> you can do it later. Just don't kill their buzz, okay? But for you and I, you know, apparently when I was little, somebody, uh, somebody asked me, according to my dad, you know, are you? asked me if I was going to see Santa, and I said, no, he's, he's the lie of the devil. I don't remember saying that. My dad said I did. I'll leave it at that, and that's fine. Get a testimony from, from my elder, uh, and that's okay. But that's the idea here. What are they doing? Lo, here's Christ. Lo, here he is. So they're, the, 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 all these representations, and yet there's only one Antichrist. But he has this religious system 
that's working out its way out through the world, and it's called many. Uh, this uh, it's called many Christ, if you will. Here's Christ, or lo, he is there. What do they do? Believe him not. Come over to First John chapter two. And it's important to understand to follow this on how this is going to work. Because this is going to be available to the world prior to the Antichrist, the real one, being revealed. Okay? So this information, this attitude, this, this deception prog- program, it's going to be already operating. You know how Paul in 2 Thessalonians says that the, the mystery of iniquity doth already work? It's an ongoing thing. It's just going to intensify when the real Antichrist shows up, the ultimate culmination where he signs on the documents and they sign the agreements, you know, Daniel 9 there. So you've this whole vain religious system out there promoting him, he's working, he's going, and it's really going to cultivate in the midst of that week when the abomination of desolation sits there in the temple. So there's, again... Revelation 13, middle of the week, the false prophet sets that idol up, causes that idol, and then the mark of the beast and all that. So there's a lot leading up to that, and it literally starts prior to the 70th week. Now, if you look, you got 1 John 2, look at verse 18. Little children. (laughs) This is a great verse, by the way, to help you time out this stuff where it all kind of fits. When he calls them little children, that is a title that is attached to the little flock. He calls the apostles this up in the upper room in John. When he's in the upper room with them, he calls them my little children. So this title here, actually 2-1, my little children, these things were right I unto you, that you sin not. So when you begin in 1 John, who's he talking? He's talking to the little flock. Verse 18, little children, it is the last time. So we're at the last days. And as you have heard that Antichrist, notice, shall come. He's not there yet. See, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So 1 John is written to the little flock to teach them how to detect, how to determine, how to identify who all these folks are. You know what they're doing? They're claiming to be Jews, but they're really not. All right? They're of, they claim to be Jews, but they're really of the synagogue of Satan, Revelation calls them. What are they doing? They're out here rebuilding the temple, reinstituting the daily sacrifices, they're bringing the Mosaic Law back in. They're bringing the Old Testament back in. They're claiming to be Israel. They're doing all of this. And what are they? They're many antichrists. They're not the real deal. By the way, a real believing remnant would say would be in the book of Hebrews. We're not going back to the old. We're moving on to the better. We're leaving the old covenant. We're moving to the new covenant. That's why, actually, really, Hebrews through Revelation is written in the early Acts period, it's all done so that as they go into this timing between 
of wrath, they have the equipping to get into it. It's, it's, you know, Revelation is talking about the 70th week of what's going to happen. So it's really over here. These guys are claiming to be. They're saying, I'm the one doing it. What Again, the, as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come. He's not out there. Do, he's not here yet. But what has he got? He's got all this. The system has all these representatives out making claims. So there is, we are prior to the 70th week. When the 70th week, when he signs the covenant, he's completely identified. Now they know who he is. Now they know this and so forth. So 1 John is written to set the stage to identify and, and see what's happening really between truth and the lie. So there's more to, I, I was talking with some folks years ago about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not one little event. Just like the tri- we use that term tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble. That's not just one, one event. It's a long series of events. It actually starts in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. And there's, so there's this period prior to where this deception program is running. That's where we're at in Mark 13. Okay. And in Mark, uh, you can go back to, uh, well, you know what? Go, well, go back to Mark 13 just real quick to catch the verses. So what's he, what he's doing here is he's teaching them there's a lot of things going to be going on here, guys, prior to verse 14 when, when the abomination is set up. There's all this stuff happening, and you need to be aware of it. And so when he says there in verse 21, and then if any man shall say to you, lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is here, believe him not, there's many antichrists. There's some things leading up to the anti-antichrist, <laughs> the main guy. And he's got this whole vain religious system already working, already operating, producing that the, the seductive issues that are happening. In Scripture, it's called Baal worship. Starts in Genesis 11, runs all the way out there to Genesis or Revelation 17, and it all through it. Paul talks about it. Get out of that, you know. What accord does? Uh, we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That isn't about marriage or business. It's talking about the religious system. What fellowship? One concord? What the, all of this going on there? Paul says, "Don't you know? Touch it. Get out of it." Verse twenty-two. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise. Now watch and shall show signs and wonders to seduce. That's the goal. If it were possible, even the elect. Now, think false Christ, false prophets. What are they doing? They're using signs and wonders, miraculous events. And it's important to catch what they're doing because everybody and their brother loves a miracle. And they always say, well, God did it. But you know what? That's not always the case. Come over to 2 Thessalonians 2. So when people talk about or bring, 
by the way, to seduce is to draw someone away from the path of, of what's right by the promise of a physical benefit, physical enjoyment, uh, experience. And what happens is, is when people start talking about signs and wonders, you've got to be careful because some of them are false, false Christ, false prophets. And they're doing things that are not necessarily uh, true and accurate. And actually, we'll get into this here. If you just look there at verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. And this is the day we're talking about. Except there come a falling away first. There's Israel. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So as long as the church, the body of Christ, is in the way, none of this is happening. It isn't happening. It has never happened. It's all future. Once the dispensation of grace is over and the body of Christ is over, now this is on board. Verse 8, and then, see that, and then shall. See, after he who letteth is out of the way, then shall that wicked, and there's a title, be revealed. So there's the Antichrist, the wicked. Once the body of Christ is out of the way, the wicked is going to be revealed. He's going to be identifiable. Daniel 9, 27, he's going to sign the covenant, and off they go. But now, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Uh, that's Isaiah 30. That, by the way, because he's quoting Isaiah 30, that's who you know who he's, how you know he's talk, who he's talking about. Here's the Antichrist, verse 9. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, now watch, with all power and signs and lying wonders. Here's the Antichrist. Hold on here, look over at Revelation 13 with me. Revelation 13. It's very interesting here. The Antichrist, and in Revelation he's called the beast, because that's how God describes him. Hang on a second here. Okay. Revelation 13. Get there myself. I just, when I look down, I hit that microphone. So, Revelation 13, if you look at verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. See that issue of power? Verse 11, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he spake, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. They're talking about the false prophet. And he, he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which he had the wound, 
by the sword and did live, and he had power to give life. See all that power and everything? Well, that when you're in 2 Thessalonians 2, the guy that gave him all that is Satan, the adversary. He's got all this power, and he go back to 2 Thessalonians 2. He's got this, this working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, verse 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. He's got the deceivable deception that it's produced by the Antichrist, by the system. And what are they using? They're using signs and wonders and miracles, but they're lying wonders. And it's all designed to seduce the believer, to seduce the world into believing the lie. Verse 11. I'm, I'm sorry, verse 10. Why do they believe the lie? Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And again, the saved there is saved from the deception program. Verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And again, you go to Isaiah 10. You go to Ezekiel 20, Ezekiel 22, and you know what happens? He sends a strong delusion. Who does he send? He sends the Antichrist. By the way, look, look back there at Ezekiel, or Isaiah 10, for that matter. Isaiah 10, Isaiah 10, verse 5. It's very fascinating here. What the Antichrist, you know, what he's doing here. And why, why does God send all of this? Well, its design is to purge Israel, to get all out all the unbelievers out of Israel. If you look at Isaiah 10, verse 5, O Assyrian, the rod of my anger and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. I will send him against the hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to try and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. How be it, watch, he meaneth not so. It isn't, he's not thinking about doing this, see? Neither doth his heart think so. But it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. See, the goal, he doesn't even think of, he's not sitting there thinking about, well, I'm going to do this, can get... He's just thinking about destroying the nations. Look over at Ezekiel 20. It's very interesting. He's going to purge out the dross, clean them up. Ezekiel 20. uh, If you look at Ezekiel 20, verse 33, As I live, saith the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out will I rule over you. And I will bring you out from the people and will gather you out of the countries wherein ye are scattered with a mighty hand and will stretch out arm and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the people and there will I plead with you face to face like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So will I plead with you, saith the Lord God, and I will cause you to pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. And I will purge out from among you the rebels and them that transgress against me. Isn't that Ezekiel 20, verse 38? That's what he's doing. And he's using the Antichrist to do it. 
All right, look over at Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22. You start in verse 17, and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, the house of Israel is to me become dross. All they are brass and tin and iron and lead in the midst of the furnace. They are even the dross of silver. It's, it's interesting that the description by Daniel of the image, the feet are of iron and clay, the dross. Here they are. Therefore saith the Lord, verse 19, the Lord God, because ye are all become dross, behold, therefore I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem as they gather silver and brass and iron and lead and tin in the midst of the furnace to blow the fire upon it, to melt it. So will I gather you in mine anger and in my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. <laughs> Yea, I will gather you and blow upon you in the fire of my wrath, and ye shall be melted in the midst thereof, as silver is melted in the midst of the furnace. So shall ye be melted in the midst thereof, and ye shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury upon you. Well, that's what we're talking about here. So after, come back to Matthew 7, after the return of Christ, after the only Israel left is the believing remnant. Because what have they done? They saw the abomination set and they fled. They ran to the hills. They, and behind all of this, what we begin to see and understand, behind all of this, all of Satan doing this work, with lying wonders and the signs and the miraculous events, really is God's whole plan. Isaiah 10. He doesn't, they don't mean to do it. By the way, that's why in Psalm 76 he says, the wrath of, with the wrath of men, the wrath of men will praise him. Psalm 76. Why? You know, people, all oh, the wrath of man. Well, what? We'll praise him. Why? Because it's ultimately his plan to take Israel through the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego picture, and to produce that purified nation over there. So he's going to deceive them by using signs in Matthew 7, by, by using signs and wonders. And what, what the Lord is telling them in Mark 13 and what Paul's getting at in 2 Thessalonians 2 is that when you when they see the signs and wonders and lying wonders, they're be they're produce, they're coming from the power of the adversary, not coming from God. And that's what you have to remember, is that when you begin to see things, I mean, I've heard people in ministry all the time, oh, this miracle happened and God's blood. Well, wait a second. Are you sure about that? You need to be careful with that. And what begins to happen is, is you, you have to begin to check the emotion of the experience with the truth of the Word of God. And, and we understand that. Look at Matthew 7. By the way, when you come into Scripture, a, I won't say most of the time, a majority of the time, how's that for most of the time? When you see a sign or a miracle done, it ultimately produces unbelief, never belief. It causes unbelief to come up, and it's just very interesting. Look at Matthew 7. Look at verse 21. The Lord speaking here to him, and he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, 
Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, and this is what we're talking about in Mark 13, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? What did Mark 13? False prophets. And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done wonderful works. There's 2 Thessalonians 2. He says, look, guys, back there in that time, they're going to come up and say, in the name of the Lord, boom. Now watch verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He doesn't say it didn't happen. He just says what? It's not part of me. You didn't do that on my Whose power did you do that by? The worker of iniquity. And iniquity, again, iniquity has is a very specific thing. They're doing all of this. Again, it's not fake. It's not false. It happens. But they're doing it on the base as a part of the program of iniquity. Now, again, where does iniquity start? Ezekiel 28, it starts with Satan. You were Lucifer. You were perfect. You fell. And then iniquity was found in you. That's the very beginning. So iniquity is a very special kind of sin. It's a special kind of rebellion. It has to do with... Uh, the adversary, and the satanic policy of evil. So the Lord says, hey, out there in the future, they're going to be doing stuff. They're going to claim it's in mine. You remember they say, you remember when he tells them they're going to kill you thinking they're doing God's service? They're not. They're really part of that deception program. Come back to Deuteronomy 13, the false prophet thing. By the way, you have to remember your Bible You need to know your Bible history when you start talking about signs and wonders and miraculous events. It's interesting, I I said today, from Genesis 4, which is Cain, to Enoch, when he was taking up, there are no miracles done in the Bible. Adam and Eve had a ton of miracles done up to to chapter 4. They saw creation, they saw this, they saw that, they saw Genesis 4, Cain to Enoch, pre-flood. No miracles done in Scripture. Okay? Now, Enoch is translated. So from Enoch to the flood, no miracles. By the way, you know how long it is from Enoch, from Cain to Enoch? About 500 years. How long is it from Enoch to Noah? About 500 years. So for at least, let's just say, a 1,000 years, no miracles are done in scripture in the canon of no miracles are done the flood happens so the flood to genesis 12 no miracles in genesis 12 when he goes to abraham what did he say to abraham you're going to have a seed i got to get involved so there's a miracle but from abraham he tells abraham that your seed's going to go down into egypt for 409 400 and something years, and then they're going to come out. Guess what? In those 490 years, no miracles in Egypt. Now, when they're time to come out of Egypt, they saw a ton of miracles, didn't they? The ten plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea. I mean, they see that up close and personal. 
they go into the wilderness. And for 40 years, there's a miracle every day. It's called manna. They're fed with manna every day for 40 years, miracles. They go into the land, finally. Now, there are miracles there, but they're not happening every day. Actually, he tells them, you're going to go into land, you're going to have to go to work. You know, out here I've been doing, now you've got to go to work. Then you come into the judges. What happens in the judges? Well, he raises up the judge, but there's time in between. But there's still a miracle. The kings, they become very, actually the miracles become very specialized. Elijah, Elisha, and stuff like that. Very specialized. By the way, Elijah did eight. Elisha does 16, the double portion, and so forth. So in Scripture, (laughs) there's some periods when there's a ton of them, and then there's sometimes when there's none, and there's sometimes when there's very few. So you've got to be very careful with claiming a miracle out of Scripture. Now, in Deuteronomy 13, where are we? We're in the midst of a time when miracles are happening daily, all the time with Israel. He's feeding them, he's doing this, he's taking care of them, and so on. Now look at 13.1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Now think about what happens here. The guy does a sign and a wonder. It ha- it's not fake. It happens. Okay? They go over there and they check it out. It's real. But then he says, let's go after other gods. Okay? So, by the way, that's a violation of commandment number one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So he's taking the sign, the miracle, and he says that that's proof that I got a message from God, and the message is, let us go after other gods. So that's a false message, isn't it? Okay? So then what are they to do? Verse 3, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put together. You take the guy out and kill him. But But what are they to do with that, though? Even if you see a sign and a wonder, yet it tells you to violate what God's word says, you know what? You better obey God's word than going falling for the trap because it's a proof god's proving you he's testing you remember in geometry you know we figured it out but you got to have that proof thing i hated that thing i made i did so much makeup made stuff up there because you can look at it and prove it and then you got to show your work he's doing he's proving them he's trying them when you look at when you're looking for experience-based validation of spiritual truth, or are you coming over here and you're looking for the Word of God? See, that's what—that's the case. Now, if you think, by the way, just dispensationally, what's God doing today? 
He's forming the church, the body of Christ. He's not doing Israel's program. So if someone comes and they've come to me in the past, oh, I had a miracle. No, you did not. I'm sorry. Why? Because I know what God's word says he's doing today. He's not doing that. He's doing this. And what the seduction is, to seduce, again, draw away a person from the path of what's right with the promise of physical delight or experience. That's all it's doing. It's in, in religion, by the way, in religion it's called metaphysics, where you're seeking to validate the spiritual, spiritual through experiential means, physical means. It's a part of the lie program. And that's what the Antichrist is going to use out there. He's going to use the, the fixation, the fascination, the, the grip of signs and miracles and wonders, and he's going to use that to draw the people away. Again, the guy in the sky coming is bad, and the real Messiah is sitting over there on the throne in the temple. Come over to Luke 8. So if you say a miracle happens, you know, you're, you're really bought into the lie program. So you, you need to be careful. And again, that's how you, you're, that's the deception from the truth. And it's even today. Now, did Paul do signs? Sure, he healed a guy, he does this, he does, but he's got a reason for that. Romans 11, 11, he's got a provoking ministry. All of that stopped. It's very interesting. He can't heal the guys. He has to leave guys sick on Miletum. And when you look at that, and the, the viper comes out of the fire, gets Paul, and he's healed. But then he can't heal anymore. Timothy he tells Timothy, go, go get a little wine, medicine. Why? Because that stuff is he's not needed anymore. We've got the Word of God on board now, and that's how God's working. You got Luke 8? I'm thinking about Paul. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, just real quick. 1 Corinthians 1, keep Luke 8, don't, don't leave Luke 8. 1 Corinthians 1, look at verse 22. Right in the middle of Paul dealing with the wisdom of the world, okay, he says, for the Jews require a sign and the Greek seek after wisdom. That is not a compliment, okay? It's bad news on both accounts. It's bad for the Greeks who are running after the wisdom of the world. And what's it going to do? It's going to perish. But yet if you follow it, it's going to take you away from the truth of God. But you know what? If you start seeking a sign, it's going to take you away from the truth of God's word as well. Now, look at Luke 8, because when you talk about the signs, where do we got it? You got to look at Israel. Look at Luke 8. And again, we're going to, well, Luke 8 and Mark 16, but we'll just start in Luke 8. Again, the miracles are tied to really draw out, bring out unbelief. They don't promote faith. They promote unbelief. They don't promote walking by faith. They promote walking by sight. Okay? Look at Luke 8, verse 1. And it came to pass afterward that he, and that's Jesus, went throughout every city and village, first, what? Preaching, second, and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, 
and the twelve were with him. Notice the order of operation here. Okay? He's going to preach. He's going to teach them. He's going to come in and give them the word. Then he's going to show, by the way, the, the two great signs of the kingdom is the healing of the sick and the casting out of the unclean spirits. And if you watch the Lord, that's the only two things he ever does. He comes in, he heals the sick. Leprosy, lame, dumb, the, the blind, diseased. And then he comes over and he casts out the devils, the, the unclean. That's all he does. He heals and casts out. He doesn't do anything else. He gets out and calms the sea, but that's a demonstration of him as creator. Okay? But he, again, who is he? He's the word. So what, is, so what are we going to do? We're going to preach the word, and then the miracle is going to come up and confirm what he just pro- preached. So the miracles should compel a person to acknowledge the word of God and to trust him. That's what it should be doing. Now, come over to Mark 16, or back to Mark 16. That's what he should be doing. So the design of, the, uh, uh, of all of this is to, one, validate the message, the testimony that was contained in the word, and that then the miracle side confirms it and says that it's accurate. And it says that it is the word of God. Now, look at Mark 16, verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they, well, the 11, going to be 12, went forth and preached everywhere. So what did they do first? Preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs, notice, following. The signs didn't precede the preaching. Never, ever, 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 ever is that the order. The order is the preaching of the word and the sign validating the preaching. And over and over and over again in the scripture, come come on back over there to Luke 23. You'll see that what happens is the miracles really begin to produce unbelief. And when God does a miracle, by the way, when God does a miracle, what does the flesh do? It doesn't celebrate. It, it, it actually hardens its heart. When the flesh sees a miracle that is confirming the word of God, it looks at that miracle, and it doesn't produce faith. It produces produces unbelief. Okay? And as you go through Scripture and you look at the issues of the miracles, that's what you begin to see. Now, look at Luke 23. So again, you got to be careful when you start listening to people when they start talking about miracles because what happens is is when people who are fascinated with miracles that do, by the way, that doesn't always mean that they're spiritually minded. 
or looking for the spiritual side of it. Look at Luke 23. Here's an illustration. Look at verse 6. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean, talking about the Lord. So we're on the way to cross, to Calvary. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at the time. And when, So think about this. <laughs> Pilate's trying to get off the hot seat, so he sends him over to Herod. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. Now watch, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Why does Herod want to see Jesus? Because he's a believer? He's a pagan, Gentile, unbeliever. He wants to see what? Water turned to wine. Wine turned back to water. Water turned to blood. He, he's heard all this stuff. He's a mystic. And what does he want to do? He just wants to see a miracle. No interest in what the Word of God's going to say or what Jesus was preaching or what's happening. He just wants... So you can't say, well, everybody seeking a miracle is a believer. It just isn't the case. Okay? So you got to be very careful with that. Now, come back to Psalms uh, 106. I just want you to see some of this in a few illustrations. Psalms 106. Throughout the book of Psalms, there are several places where the history of Israel is given. Okay? And they're given from different perspectives. And here you have David, Psalms 106. And he's giving it, this history lesson from the perspective of the Lord blessing Israel. But what I want you to see is their response to it all. Verse 1. Praise ye the Lord, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Again, the, the only folks that can do verse 2 is Israel. They're the only ones who can utter and show. See, Drop down to verse 7. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. Now, what happened? What happened in Egypt? They had ten plagues. The ten plagues happened. They saw it all. They saw the Red Sea event where Pharaoh is destroyed. The first obstacle they... So they see ten, ten plagues, ten miracles happen, and Pharaoh says, get out, go. Verse 7, Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. You know what happened? They see all this. They go leaving, and the first obstacle they come to is the Red Sea. And you know what they do? They don't believe that... God, Jehovah can deliver them, they provoke him to anger. Isn't that interesting? That wasn't very long, by the way. <laughs> Verse 8, nevertheless, what did he do? He saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power uh, to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as though as through the wilderness. And he saved them. 
from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies and was not one of them left. Then believed they his words and they sang his praise. Look at what he, he rebuked them. He let them go. Then believed they, now watch verse 13. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. You see, they, they, got, they saw the miracles, and the miracles didn't produce strength and faith in God long term. They saw it in the moment. They're glad to be then. But then they, their flesh pops up and says, yeah, okay, let's just move on and do something else. And actually, if you take the rest of that chapter, they forget quite a bit as the Lord deals with them. So, so the, the miracles, it res, they responded all the way. I mean, again, you, you just look down there. They soon forget verse 13. Verse 21, they forgot God their Savior and the one, uh, wondrous works in the land of Ham and terrible things by the Red Sea. They forget, they forget. I was just constantly, come over to Jeremiah 2. I've got to watch the time. Jeremiah 2. You know what they did? The miracles actually demonstrated to Israel the unbelief of the nation. Just what the law did. It demonstrated Israel's failure of their flesh. The miracles do the same thing. He took care of them. He did it. They didn't believe it. They believed it in the moment. They got across. And then as soon as they got down the road, by the way, what did they do in the wilderness? They start complaining. We want the flesh pots of Egypt again. They, they don't get it at all. Why do I have to collect up this manna and so forth? We back there, we had it. We had it made. No, you didn't. They, they don't get it. actually just puts the flesh on display. Jeremiah 2. Jeremiah 2, verse 1, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee the kindness of thy youth, the love of thy espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. Jeremiah is going to begin to lay out God's complaint against Israel. He starts by demonstrating how he loved them. Verse 3, Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Look at that. He says, Here's how I loved you. I took care of you. I provided. And what in the world's going on here? What? He's... Throws up his hands. The children he redeemed, he loved. How in the world, how can they act like this? Verse 6, neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us, look at what, neither is, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passes through and where no man dwelleth. 
and I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. And when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. Look at that. He just, what in the world? What is going on? I took you through all that. All of these miracles, verse 6 is all miracles. They're having miracles on a daily basis. Verse 9, Wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For Now watch what he says to him. For pass over the isles of Chittim and see, and send under Kadar, and consider diligently, and then see if there be such a thing. I want you guys to go out there amongst the Gentiles and tell me who of the Gentiles treated their gods the way you've treated me. Their gods didn't take care of you like I've taken care of you, and yet, you know what? They, verse 11, hath, hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Isn't that interesting? You guys go out there and you find a Gentile nation that changed their gods because he wasn't because he was taking care of them. They don't change them, period. Regardless of what happens to them, they keep the same. I've been studying Rome in the first century because of the stuff in Romans 16, and it's interesting how Rome had was a, they had many gods. They never changed them. Now, they might have changed a name or two, but they kept the same. And all of that happened. To, and, they, and, and he's like, well, look at verse 11. Verse 12. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this. And horribly afraid, be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people hath committed two evils. They have forsaken me. The fountain of living waters. And hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Boy. They've forsaken me. They've forsaken me, the true and living God. They substituted me with false gods that can't do anything. What in the world is going on here? I did all this for them. But in the midst of doing all the miracles, what was the end result? Because what are they? They're in the, they come out of the wilderness. He's talking about in the wilderness, in the land. Verse 6. All of that is, they're miracles after miracles after miracles every day for 40 years. And yet at the end of it, what do they do? They change him out for Baal. It's like, so the miracles, come back to Luke 16, the miracles don't get the job done. They actually cause unbelief to be what comes up. Look at Luke 16. We'll have to, the hour's up here almost. Luke 16, you've got the rich man and Lazarus. Okay, you know the, the situation. It goes down and the rich man's talking to, Lazarus, to Abraham. Look at verse 27. Then he said, so the rich man's talking, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. Send Lazarus up there to my father's house. Now that would be a miracle, wouldn't it? Because we're dead, we're in hell. <laughs> For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. All right? 
So do what? Send the guy from the dead up there. They'll believe him. He's from the dead. Now, but watch, watch Abraham. From verse 29. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What do they have? They have the word of God. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, Abraham answers, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, so they're not going to listen to the word of God, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Why? Their unbelief is set. So even, by the way, we, don't, we know another guy who raised from the dead that they didn't believe, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, you can go all, you can, Elijah and Elisha, it's full of this. They go do a miracle, and yet unbelief reigns. So when you come back to Mark 13, when he says here, how are they going to deceive them? Well, they're going to do it with signs and wonders, verse 22. The miracle doesn't produce faith. Only God's word produces faith. And that's really what Abraham's telling the rich man in Luke 9 and 16 there. The only way they're going to believe is they're going to have to go read Moses and the prophets. Now, for you and I today... What do we do? What does the Word of God say? How does the Word of God say God's working today? He's working through His Word out in the inner man, not outside. Philippians 2 and Philippians 3, He works in you to do His goodwill and pleasure. That's not working on all of that. What is all that designed to do? Seduce you away, move you away from who you are, okay? The point here is that the seducing powers of the signs and wonders is what they're going to use to get, to move people away. And in Scripture, miracles and signs and wonders really promote rebellion. That's really what comes up, unbelief. While it's designed to confirm the truth of God's Word, really the result is usually, nine out of ten times, unbelief. And that's where we're at. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? He feeds the 5,000. Then shortly after that, they want to make him king. Why do they want to make him king? Because he fed them. That's it. He says, I'm not king. You might be king because I fed you. You know, and all, so you got to look at all of that. In Mark, he's warning them, here's the, the seductive powers. And what they're going to do is they're going to toss physical delight in front of you. They're going to seduce you away. You need to be careful. And again, we, we do too today as well because what begins to happen is we end up off into stuff and the, the seduction of it gets us. So good case to learn from here. Um, by the way, that's Philippians. I just thought of that. Philippians 2 verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So that's the verse I was thinking about, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word and to look into it and the instructions of it. And, Lord, I just pray that we would take it to heart as we see how the little flock, the believing remnant, will out in the future. We, too, today uh, would be on guard to not be seduced away. In your name we pray, amen.